0: Hi, this is State Delegate Mark Corman, and from Wisconsin Avenue in District 16 to Pratt Street in Baltimore to the boardwalk on the Eastern Shore and everywhere in between, Conduit Street Podcast is the go-to source for news about Maryland politics and policy.
1: Welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with Michael Sanderson and DePaul Nibber. Michael and DePaul, how are you today back on Conduit Street? How are you?
2: Doing fine. Like to be back in Annapolis. Enjoy being being back with you all and ready to roll again.
0: I'm great. DePaul, you you yeah. came
1: back, so obviously it wasn't too terrible. This is the second appearance on the podcast. You decided it was worth it to come back with us for whatever reason, but we appreciate you being back here.
0: Yeah, I mean it's been two weeks. <laughs> I felt like my voice needed to be heard,
2: <laughs> and and now you have this whole fan club, all these people right? coming out of nowhere to follow you on the socials and stuff. So that I mean that's uh-huh. you know that's the fame and fortune that comes with a, like a really high end podcast event like this. We get it.
1: So, I'm in it for the paparazzi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, that, I mean that's a good reason to be in. It, to be honest with you. Yeah. So but anyway, before we get into anything else today, gentlemen, I, I do I do want to take a moment of personal privilege. I have been for months and months and maybe you know oh, years. Yeah, yeah. Here, you know, come, here comes Congress. <laughs>
2: the they
1: finally passed the infrastructure bill. And I, I feel vindicated. I gotta be honest with you. I've felt attacked in the past few weeks, and it's it's done. It's done, and this is a big deal. So, Michael you know you can it's you want to eat crow or what do you think
2: i'm i'm glad to have been wrong okay now i was i was never on i hope it never happens that was never my team my team was always betting on gridlock in washington mm. is a is a historically safe
1: play it's plus ev mm-hmm. right sure.
2: ex- yeah. exactly so so now now i'm looking for like maybe the detroit lions are going to win a game or mm. something like that but anyway mm. until the, okay maybe maybe all right maybe we're not going to roll too far but not this no, i'm 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 glad things turned In this direction, I think it's a positive thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, credit to you, Kevin. Uh, Standing over the beltway with your signs (laughs) clearly got (laughs) someone's attention and power, so...
1: That's not too far from the truth. But 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 (laughs) getting aside, I mean, in all honesty, this is really good news for the nation and for Maryland, for our state. This is billions for roads, bridges, transit, broadband, cybersecurity, all of those big, big issues that we talk a lot about that plug in directly to county government. This is a big win. So we're really excited about it and happy about it. We're going to get into a lot of stuff today. So we have a lot of loose ends that we're going to cover and that's why DePaul is here. So we feel like we can do that. We're going to talk about the latest on the opioid settlement that is on the table in Maryland and a lot of other states. We're going to talk about the federal vaccine or test mandate that right now has been stayed in federal court. And then, of course, we will get into special session. We have a date now, so we'll we'll talk nuts and bolts. And then we're going to get into another initiative. Last week, we focused on two of our legislative initiatives, reinvesting in local transportation infrastructure and making sure that our First responders have the resources that they need to provide care. We'll put a link for that in the show notes, but today we're gonna focus on the third, and that is defending local officials against threats and intimidations. So, before we get into that initiative, I mentioned that we have some loose ends to tie up, and DePaul, you're perfect to have with us today because some of these issues are right up your alley. Let's first talk about the vaccine or test federal mandate that, as I mentioned, is now on hold. County governments are employers, gentlemen. This rule would affect all county governments because of the amount of employees that we all have here in Maryland. So, first of all, what is the rule and what is its current status?
2: Yeah, I can give a super quick version from the top down. We heard a few weeks ago the president say he was going to develop, as a matter of federal policy, For large employers, 100 or more employees, a rule to govern this as a matter of workplace safety. So that's that's the foothold for the government to be involved is that the federal government and the states through either their own system or under the envelope of the feds you have you have rules and regulations about workplace safety if you've if you've worked in a you know almost anywhere if you've worked you might have seen you know various signs posted around that say you know these are safety protocols and this is who you can contact if you're worried about safety that sort of stuff it's a long list of things like that in the name of workplace safety so yeah. you know here's the trash compactor or here's the forklift or you know, here's the electrical equipment and there's a there's a federal agency and there are state level agencies that govern you have to do this you must do that. The, the idea is making sure that people are taking appropriate precautions and that you can be safe around your coworkers is a matter of community safety in the workplace. And that's the entree for the government to get in. And the nuts and bolts are turning when uh, it's now been a week or so since the feds unrolled, okay, here's what our rule is going to look like. And you've got a certain amount of time to come up with a,
0: a law policy as an employer. Congress essentially gave this authority to the president back in like 1970 to mm-hmm. create these rules for occupational safety. Um, and it's kind of a, a, a different kind of way of getting towards a, a vaccine mandate or a, a testing mandate, if you will. It's an interesting avenue to take.
1: But the bottom line is, I mean, of course, there are a lot of people concerned about this because this affects private employers, this would affect governments, anybody Mm -hmm. with over 100 employees. And so people are sort of trying to rush to figure out exactly how they're going to implement this policy. And then we see that things are held up. So we know that the idea is you have a right to be healthy in your workplace. And the idea here would be other people need to be vaccinated or tested to make sure that you, you know, continue to have that right, that you can be safe. But- Now, this has been held up in federal court. I mean, that's nothing new. We see that a lot. These days, especially, we're a very litigious society. So Mm -hmm. where are we right now? If if you're sitting, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, maybe you're a county administrator and you're trying to to, to look at the tea leaves and figure out what's going on, just because this has been held up doesn't necessarily mean you should just say, well, forget it. We're good. We don't Mm -hmm. need to do anything, right?
0: Yes. Yeah, so um, the story is making the rounds right now, but these cases are being filed in multiple different jurisdictions. They're going to a number of different federal courts and those federal courts are essentially subject to a lottery. Um, it used to be, it's you know, that you idea. could, yeah, you could, you could shop for your court, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, way back in the day, like one that's going to get you the ruling that you want. Now it's a lottery.
1: So, Michael, this lottery. So, so, <laughs> yeah. so we have a bunch of different circuits all over the country, right? And we know there are challenges in all these different circuits. So I guess the idea is instead of dealing with all these different rulings and all these different cases, we literally just put some names in a hat and then whichever circuit comes out, right. they're the ones that are going to take the lead.
2: I think that's basically how it's going to work through the federal courts that they, they need to have a review at a level below the Supreme Court. And so that'll happen through this peculiar circumstance. But for, for those, of, those of us who Are stakeholders in this rather than like the direct litigants? Mm -hmm. I think the bottom line is we know that federal policy now you almost have to expect the window of litigation as part as a step in in going from idea to implementation and so there will be a legal test as to whether this is beyond the bounds of what osha the federal agency has the ability to do mm-hmm. and the courts will sort that out i don't think this is one of these issues that's going to take like 2 years to sort it out in the no. federal courts this will be an expedited decision so it will probably be measured in weeks rather than months before this gets fully untangled. And the real question is, um, you know, what's going to happen there uh, and what, you know, what happens if if this gets ultimately upheld through the federal courts? I, I think the short version is if you're an employer in Maryland looking at this, or if you're a county, you know, a county decision maker in Maryland who as an employer is looking at this probably the smart thing to do is to continue making an effort to develop a policy, Mm -hmm. decide whether you want to do it on your own or whether you're only going to do it if compelled by the feds. And that Mm -hmm. day may come. It may not be early December like was announced last week, but it might be late December. It could be in January. It could be early next year. But at some point, it's certainly possible that shoe drops and you need to do it. So don't be left, you know, empty handed. Right,
0: right. right. (laughs) <laughs>
1: hedge your bets yeah. and, <laughs> right. and this is something that could end up before the Supreme Court DePaul right is that
0: yeah absolutely especially if you end up with multiple different rulings in different mm-hmm. um, courts across the country right
1: Okay, so more to come there, but the bottom line, you should be prepared to, to, for this to go into effect, and whether you want to do it by yourself or because the federal government mandates that you do it, you should have a plan on the books. Next, uh, sort of these odds and ends to Paul. We talked a few weeks ago when you were on about the, the opioid settlement that is on the table here in Maryland. Right now, We've we've made some headway, and we're still dealing with a tight deadline here, but sort of refresh yeah. us on what's going on and what is going to happen tomorrow and then in the weeks ahead.
0: Yeah, so uh, we still have that January 2nd um, deadline for all the locals to sign on to the Attorney General's settlement with Johnson & Johnson and the other opioid medication distributors. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's happening now is the Attorney General, he like, like we said in the previous podcast, he put forward these terms for – um, the settlement that sends some money to the local, some to the state, and then there's a bunch of formulas here and there. Um, what's happened is the the attorney general has reached out to a number of different jurisdictions, a number of different stakeholders, and they've all kind of um, asked for a, a different set of terms. Mm-hmm. Attorney general, to his credit and his office's credit, has um, shown some flexibility here, um, and they're going to create a work group of which uh, MAKO and our sister organization, uh, Maryland Municipal League, mm-hmm. has uh, submitted some names to be a part of. Um, so we've got seven members. MML has seven members as well. And, and so
1: they're going to start coming to the table to sort of try and hash this stuff out because we are dealing with that tight deadline.
0: So I think that framework makes
2: sense. Um, you know, you could probably – argue whether starting with a blank sheet of paper or a first draft plan would have been the better way to mm. get the gears turning. Sure. But we've got a first draft, and I know we're going to have local governments come to the table with comments that we'd like to see this change, we'd like to that, that altered. I think that's the framework we're looking at. But the, the mutual objective is let's get an agreement in the best possible posture to make it at least a viable option for every local government to want to opt into. So yep. that might mean some clarity and some clear definitions and some formulas that everybody can understand and so forth. And like to the extent that we can make this the best product it can be, that gives the locals the best chance to look at this and say, yes, I want in because that makes sense for my town or for my county.
1: Right, and of course, this is really important. We've all been fighting the opioid epidemic, and that costs money, right? And we need these resources to, to continue to fight this epidemic because it hasn't gone away. Right, it's been yeah, exacerbated no, by the pandemic. We're not
2: in the past tense, mm-hmm. so so the the dollars here, as well as the commitments from the participating companies right, right. to change their behavior and, and so forth. That's part of this, yeah. but but also the resources to to provide further treatment and and options for people who are in need. I mean, that's a really big part of what we need. To be doing on the ground, Maryland and elsewhere.
0: Yeah, and not to get too off track here, but there's been two kind of news-making headlines um, recently of both a California state case and also the Oklahoma mm-hmm. state cases where they basically overturned settlements that are that were thought to be set in stone. Right. Um, so. That could have some ramifications for our talks here. Right. Um, so
1: the national landscape is still unsettled here, but mm-hmm. this is something that every state is dealing with. These were national you know, lawsuits that were consolidated. We talked mm-hmm. about that. But when it comes to Maryland, people are coming to the table. That's the right way to do this, to give that forum for people to have the opportunity to show up and say, hey, we need a few tweaks here and there. But ultimately, I think everybody is moving in the same direction as we want to get the resources we need. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of nuts and bolts at this point. Yep. Okay, so we're going to have more on that soon. And then sort of our our final loose end here, we've talked a lot about special session. We have told you that the General Assembly is going to come to town at some point in December. They have to draw these federal redistricting maps for Congress. They're going to have a few other things on the menu, but now we have a date, Michael and DePaul. You want to reveal that date to our listeners? So it's, it's
2: more or less what we had expected. We, we knew it was going to be in the month of December. Um, Monday the 6th is the date everyone's been asked, you know, circle this on your calendar, block out a couple of weeks if needed. And, but. Plan to come to town on December 6th. Um, It's a little inconvenient for those of us who are trying to do a public policy-based conference in the state, but so it goes. That's not (laughs) a principal consideration for the legislature, and that's, you know, all's good there. But uh, so as a a practical matter, this is, this this kind of matters. This is the General Assembly delivering to the governor announcement, you know, we intend to reconvene in general session, in, in a special session on this particular date. So December 6th, And probably for a few days, not like a couple of weeks.
1: Right. So, DePaul, what's on the menu? So we know what they have to do, the maps. There are a few other things that I think are top of mind for the General Assembly, one of which is they need to probably override some vetoes if they want to do that. There are some procedural rules that they have to follow there. And then there's another big ticket item on the menu that a lot of people have been talking about, too, DePaul. And what's that one?
0: Uh, they're going to vote on a new treasurer. Mm.
1: So. Nancy Kopp <laughs> has, has announced her yeah. retirement, longtime treasurer here in Maryland. Treasurer is elected by the General Assembly. Both, both chambers come together. So mm-hmm. that, that's also a big deal, and mm-hmm. that's going to generate some buzz.
2: Yeah, I, I think it will. And, and, and we you know the, the treasurer is a, it's sort of a peculiar role. I think if you ask even political insiders the difference between the roles of the comptroller and the treasurer in Maryland government, you would, we'd probably get an F. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but like managing the funds, the, the, comptroller is the collector and the treasurer is the manager. So the hands-on you know, investment of accounts and sort of some degree of oversight of the state pension system mm-hmm. and a, a, a direct stakeholder there uh, and all those sorts of things are in the hands of the Maryland state treasurer elected, as you said, by the General Assembly as a complete body and also sits as a member of the Board of Public Works. So that that body's come up from time to time on the podcast. That's a peculiar structure we've got in Maryland for Approving contracts and sort of oversight of a lot of different executive functions. Uh, they've, they've had a role over the years in school construction, a lot of other things that counties mm-hmm. and other people care about. That's a major policymaking body, and mm-hmm. one of the three votes is the treasurer.
0: Mm-hmm. On the plus side, we, we know where the building is. <laughs> right.
1: That's right. That's true. That's true. pretty prominent. That's true. Yeah. And so, so, Michael, you mentioned that, you know, nothing more than a week, probably. So you expect this will be fairly narrow. We've talked about the things we think will happen. But outside of that, you expect this to be yeah. fairly narrow.
2: I, I think that's where the smart money is here. So um, so technically, I, I mentioned this, like there's constitutional arcana here, which I would love to take 25 minutes on, but we'll do it in 25 seconds and say there's two ways you can do a general uh, special session of the legislature. The governor can call them in for a specific purpose and if that happens the general assembly is duty bound to kind of stick to the script and focus on that topic Mm -hmm. um this is the alternate where the general assembly is petitioning the governor to reconvene the general assembly session it's basically like turn on the lights turn on the heater we're going to be in town on this day Mm -hmm. um and when the General Assembly calls its own special session, nominally, it's just a reconvening of the full body. That means that they're in session, which means that they have to take up the, the Constitution says if, if the governor has vetoed bills, the next time you're together, you've got to decide what to do. You don't get to just kick that down the, down the, you know, kick the can down the road. Right. So they got to deal with that. But are they going to introduce 50 or 100 bills and, and have bill hearings and consider them all and maybe pass a third of them? I think almost everybody in town seems to be on the same sheet of music. No, that's not what this is for. Um, You always see the newspapers start running a big tally of how many taxpayer dollars are being spent by having these extra days of special session and so forth. It's just – you got 90 days, get your stuff done in your 90 days. And, and when less there's than some, a month's time, right, too. Yeah. And get yeah, right. Exactly. Right, this isn't right. July. Either, right, right. right. So, yeah. so as a practical matter, there's a particular reason to be here. It's for the congressional districts. Since you're going to do that, you tend to a couple loose ends, mm-hmm. right? You, you elect your treasurer because Nancy Cobb has announced her retirement. Fine. You take care of that. You have to do the veto overrides. That's your must do list. Mm-hmm. And then probably close the book and go home.
0: And and I think it's a real consideration that the more you add on to the slate, the closer you get to that holiday season. That's true, too. That's true. People that are expecting an actual break. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah,
2: I think think that's true. It's a a realistic part of we're all human beings. And there's a lot of people who build their annual calendar around I'm fully committed for these 90 days and I'm available for a meeting here and a site visit there. But two weeks off from my other job in the middle of December, I never planned on.
1: Right. Right, Remember, this is a part-time lecture. Legislature. So these people have real jobs. And so when you start messing with schedules, that becomes complicated. So I, I agree. I think it'll be fairly narrow. All right. We've gotten through these loose ends. I think we've tied them up fairly well. Now let's get into the reason why you're really here, DePaul. We're going to talk about another legislative initiative. And this is one that you're lead on. And we've we've previewed it up front. But this is all about protecting public officials from threats and intimidations. DePaul, sort of break this down for us, set the table. What are we talking about here? And why is this top of mind for, for MAKO and for our members, county elected officials?
0: Sure. I, I think in this era of COVID, what we've seen is... Um a lot of people with a lot of time mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. spending it uh in
1: not the best way facebook <laughs> um, social media right a lot of people just on yeah. social media right
0: um and you know uh, when you spend that much time in social media sometimes uh certain thoughts get amplified Certain negative feelings get amplified. And uh, what we've seen is a lot of our elected officials becoming the brunt of those mm-hmm. those feelings.
1: And not just elected officials, right? We're talking about oh. also like our, our professionals and front-facing folks who are, who are doing the good work in, in the middle of this pandemic.
0: Yeah. And uh, I think um, what you see in the headlines today is um, numerous articles about um, public health officials specifically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Um, Credit to Delegate Karen Lewis Young and uh, Senator Young out of Frederick County for uh, introducing a bill last year, um, well ahead of this conversation that we're, that's being had, uh, nationally and within our state around, uh, public health officials and, and the threats to them and their work. Um, so they put this bill in that would essentially, um, mirror Existing language that protects uh, elected officials, um, in addition to a couple of other, um, folks on this, on the state and local level. Um, and what the bill essentially does is it, it creates a, a, a misdemeanor, um, that, um, could result in a, a pretty hefty fine. Um, but it, it specifically creates this carve out for public health officials, um, to make sure that, you know, folks know that this is not not
1: kosher. This is not good behavior, right? And and I mean, you mentioned that there, we do have a law in the books, and Michael, yeah. we we have a law that protects elected officials. And in some states, they have that. Some states also go further, right? So there's sort of a, a mismatch in terms of what states do. But the idea here would be just to sort of add on to that existing law and bring more folks in to say, hey, you shouldn't be harassing and intimidating these people just because they're doing their job. I think there's
2: two pieces to this. And and DePaul's getting into like this issue with our Public health officials, which I think is yeah. the easiest. It's like the lowest hanging fruit mm-hmm. here. And
0: it's the introduction.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, okay. I've got sympathy. Like you, you've got my attention and a person who's making decision on behalf of the residents of her county. I, I'm the health officer. I have to reach this conclusion about what we're doing. And some people are going to be upset about that. All right. I I get how this is a person who's performing a public role and is under not just scrutiny, but potentially like vulnerable to criticism and on beyond. So – the, the, the legislation from Senator and Delegate Young from, from last session was trying to get into if you're intimidating or, or sort of like interfering with a public official's ability to do her job, mm-hmm. that is a different affair than just sending yeah. a nasty letter. And that is, I think an, that is a point of view whose time has come. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, like, you know you read the stuff in the headlines about people who are being bullied publicly but also you know people are standing in my yard and they're threatening my family or my kids and they're, they're saying words to the effect of if you do this then this will happen um, yeah. you you've got g- generic umbrella laws for for yeah. for terms like assault and so forth but yeah. this is
0: this is a different flavor than the, just the generic you know i'm going to beat you up Yeah. I mean, could you imagine being kind of um, on the uh, lower end of the poverty spectrum and this is your only clinic right next to you? It's operated by your local health department. You're just trying to go in there and, you know, get your your flu shot or something Mm -hmm. along those lines or maybe even something more critical. And you're blocked because someone has a grievance with uh, the official in that building for whatever reason Um, that. It's going to turn you away from coming there uh, ever again for treatment. And, you know, it's it's a snowball effect.
1: So you have that cascading effect. And and, and again, you know, Michael, you mentioned, I think what should stop everybody in their tracks is we have seen stories where people are showing up at these people's houses and they're on their front lawns. These people have families, kids. And they're threatening them. And, you know, whether or not you're saying it out loud or if it's tacit, uh, by being at somebody's house, I think that that is intimidation. And again, these people are doing their jobs and they're not easy jobs. These are tough decisions that a lot of these forward facing officials have to make. But we have seen uh, stories, thankfully, not so much here in Maryland, but we talk about public health officials, also election officials, right? We've seen, I think, yeah. in Arizona that there were people outside of their their building, their headquarters, you know. Very, very scary people that were threatening these people, and that they couldn't even walk out of the building to go to their cars because yep. people are so angry and upset. So we don't want that kind of stuff here in Maryland. And I think this bill, this initiative, sets out to stop that and make sure that we don't see anything further in the future.
2: I, th- I think that's it. So that's you. You just got into the, the the sort of the second piece of this that we have. We have a law in Maryland already that says. If you, if you issue a violent threat against a short list of public officials, mm-hmm. then that is its own category of offense. So, so Maryland, like lots and lots of states, has something on the books along these lines, cause that's a different thing. If you, if you tell your neighbor, I'm gonna bop you in the nose, that's one matter of thing. But if you tell the county executive, I'm so mad about your law, or if you sign that bill, I'm going to bop you in the nose, you're now affecting public policy and the conduct of public business in addition to a one-to-one personal threat. It's a
1: different thing. That makes sense. Right.
2: Right. So – the list of people that are protected there, though, mostly stops at elected officials. We squeaked yeah. in the state's attorneys and as I recall, it's the public defenders and their senior staff, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you buy the logic that, that threatening to you know, kidnap the county executive is its own kind of offense, then I think the logic is the same for the health officer or, yeah. or like the person who manages the election process. Or I mean, I'm I'm willing to make the same case for the the person who presides over like the planning department sure. and does zoning approvals or rejects yeah. zoning approvals. Very Those things can be controversial, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And they're all they're all you're doing your job as a public servant, and you're a lightning rod because of it. And I I think Maryland law should say we got your back. Right? We're not, we're not, and yeah. by the way, we're not like tell me if I'm wrong here, but DePaul, we're n- we're not parading scores of people into Maryland jails with this law. This isn't, this isn't no, like a no. – right, this is meant to be a, a piece of paper you come out and read, right? Stop that. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cut it out. That's against the law. It mm-hmm. says so right here.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's meant to shine a light on specific behavior. Right. Right. Um, more
1: than anything else. Right. Um, and, and so, DePaul, you mentioned a bill from last session. And before everybody says, well, you know, obviously the bill didn't pass, so it must not be a good bill. And, but, but the fact is it was introduced late, right? And it was late in the process, and there yeah. wasn't a ton of time for the General Assembly to actually go through and take a look at yeah, it and have a good debate.
0: Without getting too far into parliamentary mm-hmm. procedure here um, it was oh. introduced uh, in march and it was referred to a committee called rules yeah, which never at, yeah <laughs> which acts as a dam towards um excess um bills getting through towards the end of session and um it didn't make it through so it just adds one it's, more hurdle to the yeah.
1: process and it's a significant hurdle yeah. so so it's not fair to say that okay they already considered something like this they didn't do it that's not fair yeah. right
2: yeah, there, weren't, there, there was no parade of senators and delegates who heard this bill and said, bad idea, I'm voting against it. It just yeah. never got as far as a bill hearing, so that, that's fine. Um, we're going to we're gonna put some shoulder into this issue this session. I think the sponsors of last year's bill are going to be interested in pursuing it again, and I think we'll have a good deal of interest and support from the local government community, probably among others.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and we've seen mm-hmm. some coverage here locally, DePaul, and, and some of the big papers, right, in public. Applications that have sort of raised this issue and, and talked about stuff that's going on nationally. So we know it's a yeah. problem not just here in Maryland, but certainly we're getting some attention. And I think that Michael, as you said, not only from local governments but other stakeholders, there will be a lot of folks interested in, in this bill and what it could mean again to, to protect the integrity of our government by protecting the people who are out there doing the job, especially in the middle of a public health crisis.
0: Yeah, I mean we've had 500 health officers leave their jobs since the pandemic started, and that's from our. Um, National Association of County and uh, City Health Officials, part of our national affiliate. Um, and uh, with respect to our elections officials, I mean, we've had nearly one in three feel unsafe on the job, and that's from the Brennan Center for Justice. Right. And that's that's crazy.
2: So, yeah. okay, so so these are unusually challenging times over the last couple of years, and and there's right. been stresses and strains on... Public service in lots of different ways. This is Mm -hmm. not the first one that comes to mind, right? I mean, I mean, I'm sure there's a great deal of just burnout. (laughs) If you've been working public health the last two years, Mm -hmm. it's got to have been just an overwhelming surge of feeling like you're needed here and there and everywhere. So that's part of it, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, feeling like you're now personally being criticized and attacked. Is just another layer on what's already difficult. Um, I, I, I think we would be doing the right thing for Maryland to show up and buff up these laws and provide them some legal protections where they're not, not in my judgment, just not good enough now. Right.
1: So the bottom line here is, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, DePaul, no one should be threatened or intimidated because they're doing their job. That, that's the idea here. We have a law on the books for certain folks, but we need to extend that because we're seeing now that it doesn't do a good enough job. We're seeing this happen in other areas and these people aren't protected. So it's time to maybe revisit this and, and bolster it a bit.
0: Yeah. So again, point of emphasis here, we're not talking about just like debate, right? Right. You know, yeah, I, I disagree with your policy. Point. Right, right. No, we're, we're talking about, you know, I'm going to stab you if you do that. Right, right. Right. Um, <laughs> And uh, so this shouldn't have a chilling effect on people that really want to be heard. Mm -hmm. Um, They're just going to have to use their words. Right. Right, right, right. So so
2: we've got time to refine exactly what this looks like. We've got a bill from last year focused on health officers. We've got a current law that is kind of a higher standard for a short list. So there's there's multiple ways to go with this. But that principle is one that our association is going to get behind and and make some noise on. And early returns are awfully positive that we're going to have a lot of allies in doing it.
1: All right. So I think that's a really good breakdown of that initiative and what we're trying to do. We'll have a lot of allies on that front. And I I think, gentlemen, as we wrap up today, I think we'd be remiss, and I'll turn this over to Michael, if we didn't mention Leslie Velasco, uh, Director of Administration and Finance here at MAKO for a long, long time. Michael, you came up with Leslie. (laughs) She is retiring. So I'll turn it over to you as someone who's known her the longest and been here with her. I mean, this is a bittersweet day and week here at MAKO.
2: For sure. So great for her and she's got plans with family and friends and good weather and golf courses and that's exactly as it ought to be um, but uh, it will be a, a, an enormous change for our association and sometimes I mean I get way too much credit for for things that happen that Mako does that people are happy about. People come to the conference, someone slaps me on the back and says, thanks so much for helping me out. My exhibit booth was in exactly the right place and we got all this great traffic. We made these great contacts. This is the best conference we've been to and I'm going to go tell those people in Nebraska that Maryland is way better. And they they tell me, Mm -hmm. but the, the reason that was so great was because Leslie Velasco shepherded them through that whole process and made sure they were on the outside corner and she advised them, no, don't do this. Do that. That works way better. And I'll get you that extra bad. No, bring her in too. Yeah, you want her there too. Right. Mako's good at that stuff. And it happens at the one-to-one level. So it's nice for someone to tell me, hey, Mike, you did a good job. The reality is Leslie has been crushing it for Mako and for our members and the people who have attended our conferences and events for years and years. She's been here for 26 years. I've worked with her mm. every day of that whole time. She's been wonderful to work with. A great colleague, great friend. We're going to miss her a ton, but good for her. Go play some golf.
0: DePaul, DePaul. <laughs> so, uh, what Michael was just mentioning here uh, about all this logistical planning and stuff like that, I being behind the scenes, I see all of the IT t- uh, stuff that we have mm-hmm. at our disposal to make these conferences happen. And she was doing it before any of it was adopted. So, <laughs> yeah. I hats off to her. Um, She's incredible. In addition to all the other hats that she's worn here and she's been a joy to work with.
2: She might be the first Mako staff person to actually make it to Guam.
1: Oh boy! So I'm
2: just saying, like we've been on Guam watch, and well, maybe we need. In her, to fix reti- that. In her retirement, yeah. like like she might be, you know, like unrolling maps and, and plotting courses. So I, 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 my money's on her.
1: Hot air balloon,
0: yeah.
2: Or or
1: <laughs> she'll she'll join like the, 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 the ladies PGA tour, right? Like she's gonna be. She's a big <laughs> golfer. She's a big <laughs> golfer. So I think she's gonna enjoy. But but yeah. all the best to Leslie. Seriously, it's uh it's gonna be a lot different, and we're gonna miss her very much. All right. So we'll leave it there for today. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe. That way, all of these episodes will be sent directly to the device of your choice. You can also follow along on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and then, of course, our Conduit Street blog. But for DePaul Nibber and Michael Sanderson, this is Kevin Canale signing off, and we will talk to you soon.